Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. There has been a a development in one of the cases that the New Civil Liberties Alliance has been pursuing successfully for a long time, or I guess we were pursuing unsuccessfully for a little while and then recently have met with great success in the case is probably a more accurate way to say it. (laughs) But this is is our our case, Michelle Cochran uh, versus the Securities and Exchange Commission, where we have been staking the claim that that uh, that our client Michelle Cochran is able to bring her lawsuit against the SEC in federal district court before having to go through the administrative uh, proceedings that the SEC wants to to drag her through for some alleged uh, enforcement purposes. And we we won back in December. You may recall uh, we won an en banc decision from the Fifth Circuit saying that in fact. Uh, uh, she was entitled to to go forward in federal district court, did not have to go through the administrative hearing first. And the Securities and Exchange Commission has appealed that case now to the U.S. Supreme Court. They have sought a petition for a writ of certiorari uh, in order to, to try to reverse uh, the Fifth Circuit. And the, uh, but, but they've done something a little bit, uh, uh, more, more. Uh, what's the right word? More. I don't want to say sneaky because it's not exactly sneaky, but it's it's uh, uh, rather than just straight up asking the court to hear the case and reverse it, they have asked the case. They have asked the Supreme Court to hold the case pending the outcome of a different case. Uh, this other case is Axon v. Federal Trade Commission, and to be to be clear. NCLA has been following the Axon case closely. We agree with the folks in Axon that uh, who sued the Federal Trade Commission. We agree with them that they also ought to be able to go forward with their lawsuit against the FTC over over certain unconstitutional aspects of what the FTC is is trying to do uh, to them. That they ought to be able to go forward in federal district court uh, as well. But it's a different statute. The FTC Act is different than the Securities Exchange Act. The the statutory provisions are not identical; <clears throat> they are similar. Uh, but the uh, but what the uh, what the SEC, what the government, the Solicitor General wants uh, the Supreme Court to do is hold on to this case indefinitely. Well, uh, hold on to the case until the decision in Axon comes down. And the reason that they want to do that, I think, one of the reasons they want to do that is they, I think, they think that the that maybe the facts or the 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 statute the FTC Act is a little bit more favorable to them than some of the facts and statutory language that we have in the Securities Exchange Act uh, in Michelle Cochran's case. And so what uh, what NCLA did this past week was we filed a response to the uh, petition for a writ of cert that the that the Solicitor General had filed, and we said not so fast, not so fast. If you're going to, and we agree with the government that this is a cert-worthy uh, question, 
and we agree that uh, we understand why the why the SEC and why the Department of Justice want the Supreme Court to take a look uh, at this case, even though it came out in our favor at the Fifth Circuit. Uh, but uh, you you ought to go ahead and grant cert now and hear this case alongside the Axon case. That there's no reason to wait. If you just wait until the end of of the Axon case, then what's going to happen is that the government is going to then, if they lose, which I think they will, if they lose, they're going to say, oh, at that time, they're going to say, well, these these statutes aren't identical and and the Supreme Court didn't reach the SEC question and therefore uh, you, you lower courts can't overturn your circuit precedent, which is in favor of the government in most circuits on this Securities Exchange Act uh, question. The Fifth Circuit decision in Michelle Cochran's favor created the circuit split there are about five other circuits that have gone the other way on the same question, and that the, the government wants those decisions to be preserved as long as possible, and that's why it's trying to, uh, to to hold this case and delay the Supreme Court's decision and enable it to argue down the road that hey, the whatever decision comes down in Axon, that doesn't completely decide the question uh, for for the SEC. And what we're telling the Supreme Court, what we told the Supreme Court in our filing this week. And, and as an aside, John, I think I've probably had my name on 100 different uh, Supreme Court briefs uh, at this point uh, between amicus briefs and, and party briefs that we've done. I don't think I've ever had my name on an orange brief before. This is, uh, <laughs> this is the, I guess to have your name on an orange brief, you have to win at the Court of Appeals and the government has to appeal your victory. And then you have to be in the position of responding to this to the cert petition, right? So that is that is correct. I have been on orange briefs before, but all I right, did, all right. I did find that funny. I said, if if you've been on that many briefs, maybe John Roberts knows who you are. <laughs> well, I don't know which way that cuts, but uh, <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> so, but the the interest, the other thing that the government's trying to preserve here is the government loves to make arguments, uh, and 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 not acknowledge that they made different arguments the last time. So uh, if, if these are heard together, they can't just, you know, uh, they, they got to say the same thing and they may have a hard time doing that. That's a good point. It'll, it'll make them reconcile their arguments in a way that they, that they wouldn't otherwise uh, have to do. But the, you know, the question presented is undeniably uh, cert worthy. I mean, the, the fact that the government is, has sought cert on it uh, suggests uh, the same, uh, but uh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed to wriggle out of this. And uh, if it if the court does what we have asked, and, and by the way, shout out to uh, Greg Gar, the former Solicitor General of the United States, who's a partner at Latham and Watkins. Uh, his team there with Blake Stafford and Margaret Upshaw have uh, provided pro bono counsel to Michelle Cochran uh, as well. Peggy Little from our shop is the lead attorney uh, on this case, and and Rich Samp and Kara Rollins are are on the brief uh, with me as well. So. I uh, don't want to uh, don't want to forget to to acknowledge the great work that that Greg Gar and his team and and Peggy Little and and our other folks internally here have been doing uh, on this case. Uh, but uh, but if but if the court goes ahead and and does what we have asked and and suggests that uh, that we that we look at the two cases together, not only is it going to be more difficult, as John says, for for the supreme for the uh, government to to make some some different arguments, it'll also enable the Supreme Court to, to have the benefit of all of the uh, all of the decisions and all of the uh, the back and forth that happened at the en banc uh, Fifth Circuit. There was a whole lot of uh, of lengthy decisions that were produced there, 
and a lot of of uh, of reasoning. And the court typically likes to have these things percolate below. Well, there's been a lot more percolation, John, on the SEC question. As I say, at least six uh, decisions from various circuit courts around the country considering this jurisdictional question. And there hasn't been as much percolation on the FTC Act question. So when when cases get to the Supreme Court, they typically like to have all the nuances and have all the arguments. And I think if they if they're going to have that, then they should really uh, consider both of these these cases and not limit themselves to the to the FTC context. Yeah, and 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 I think there has been more percolation, and I I think that the SEC, uh, you know, people tend to fight back more, uh, and 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 it and it's more frequent for some reason. I'm because I'm not I'm not quite sure what the reason is, but I think the fact is is absolutely true. So we'll see what they do. It's it's an unusual circumstance as well. Uh, you you talked about this being the first time on our uh, on an orange brief, but I I think this is the first one of these I've seen where the government asked for the abeyance and then the other side asked no let's let's do it at the now let's now take our case and put it with this other case i mean you know you sometimes see it when it's the exact same agency and the exact same issue but i haven't really seen this before it's going to be interesting yeah it will be interesting to see what the court decides to do i hope that they recognize that that if they don't uh if they don't do what we have asked that they're really inviting a whole bunch of unnecessary uh, additional rounds of litigation afterwards that this question has has percolated plenty now to be settled by the Supreme Court on the SEC side. And if if we have to go through another round of of litigation over the extent to which the Axon case matters or or changes anything for Michelle Cochran and other people uh, in her position, that's uh, that's a lot of of wasted effort and needless litigation that the that the Supreme Court could uh, could forestall by just hearing both uh, both cases uh, and, now, and the, and the free enterprise fund was an SEC case. So that's one correct. Of the main cases was an SEC S. One of the main cases involved in everybody's briefing is going to be free enterprise. Free enterprise was an SEC case, so you'd think they'd want that up there rather than the FTC case alone. Well, in fact, uh, you know, I I was. Uh, to some of our folks, well, you know, maybe what the Supreme Court ought to do is grant summary affirmance to us uh, in, <laughs> in our case, uh, since uh, since they already decided in Free Enterprise Fund that that Section 78Y of the Securities Exchange Act does not preempt federal district court jurisdiction, and that that would be a sufficient uh, victory uh, for for our purposes. Uh, now, now, typically, as as one of my colleagues uh, uh, pointed out, uh, the Supreme Court does not grant summary affirmance to the side to, to the side that has one court rather than five courts on their side in the circuit split. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I understand. I understand. But uh, I do think that we have the better of the argument. And I, I would like to, to, to have the Supreme Court go ahead and uh, and hear the case. Uh, we anticipate that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of interest uh, in this case from uh from the uh, from the securities bar, there were a lot of briefs filed, amicus um, briefs filed uh, at an earlier stage of the of the Axon case. Uh, there will be additional amicus briefs filed, I believe, in May uh, in that case. So there, there's there's plenty of uh, opportunity to uh, to get uh, the, the, get the court the information it needs to decide uh, the the question. However. If it doesn't have the SEC question in front of it, it can't decide the SEC question. It, you know, sort of no matter what it says in the and the Axon case, it'll it'll put 
the government and lower courts in the position to try to argue around the precedent. And that's what they've been doing so far. That's what we've been complaining about. They argued around free enterprise fund. Let's not put them in the position to argue around it again uh, in action. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Administrative Static, Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni. And we wanted to, to fill you guys in on an oral argument that happened out in Denver, Colorado, earlier this, this uh, the, at the beginning of this past week uh, in the Tenth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. Our colleague, uh, Harriet Hageman, uh, appeared in front of the court to argue the uh, the case on behalf of our clients, uh, RCAF, uh, the uh, ranchers and cattlemen who have been opposing the RFID, radio frequency ID ear tags uh, on cattle. And just to just to set this up, uh, and then John, I'll pitch it to you for, for a little bit of discussion about the oral argument. But uh, but folks may recall that that back in 2013, the federal government had put out a regulation that required a traceability of, of cattle and so forth for disease management purposes. But that regulation had explicitly not required radio frequency ID tags, and in fact, it said that states and other entities could not require. Uh, they could now they could allow radio frequency ID tags, but they couldn't require them. Then, under the Trump administration, they tried to put out a guidance, not a regulation. They didn't go through notice and comment rulemaking. They just put out a guidance that tried to say you were going to have to use radio frequency ID tags. And so NCLA jumped in on behalf of RCAF USA saying, look, you can't change a regulation with a guidance. Uh, and uh, and the USDA eventually backed off on that. And they've now said, uh, you know, they haven't backed off the idea of RFID ear tags. I think they're going to go forward with that. But they've said that they're going to do a notice and comment rulemaking. They've given up on the idea of trying to do this through guidance. So that's a positive development. Unfortunately, the two uh, federal advisory committees that that the government set up in the course of trying to put its guidance together, uh, it, it created a problem because they didn't follow the strictures of the Federal Advisory Committee Act when they set up the uh, the, the cattle uh, uh, the, uh, the cattle traceability working group and the uh, producers uh, traceability council. I think I've I think I've said both of those correctly. I think you're uh, right. And and because of that. Uh, we have this issue that's that's now gone up to the Tenth Circuit. The district court uh, disagreed. The district court didn't allow us to have uh, didn't allow us to have discovery on this question of whether USDA had violated the Federal Advisory Committee Act, which frankly is unusual. You usually do get discovery in these these sorts of cases, uh, certainly from the D.C. Uh, courts when you when you bring these FACA challenges. Uh, but uh, uh, but the ten, but we were in the Tenth Circuit. Harriet argued this case, John, and and was trying to make the case that look. The USDA uh, had either uh, had either established or utilized these two councils, these advisory committees, uh, in in setting up the the guidance. And now the regulation's not out yet. Uh, and if it uses the information in the regulation that it puts out that that these two councils uh, had 
developed, then there's going to be another FACA challenge available down the road against uh, against the regulation. But I think that there already ought to be. You shouldn't have to wait for the regulation to come out in order to challenge uh, the the USDA's inability or refusal to follow FACA. Because John, as you know, the Federal Advisory Committee Act is is the thing that requires these advisory committees to be balanced. It requires them to to uh, operate in the light of day and to have minutes and to uh, all these sorts of things, none of which were done uh, by these committees. Uh, and, but uh, and and what and what the purpose of it is, just so our listeners understand, is is that the government often needs information from people who are not in the government in order to do certain things, both statute and regulatory. And one way they do it is they're allowed to make an advisory committee to kind of give them information and what the facts are going in the ground. So there's nothing there's nothing inherently malicious about an advisory committee. But what FACA was put in to do was to make sure that you you the advisory committee is not going to come out with just whatever the administration wants. There's going to be people on the committee who are in that industry or or have knowledge about this. Uh, and that everyone's going to know what's going on and what's recommended. And that's why all these procedures are put in. And right. You don't want one-sided facts coming to the government. You want, you want the government to be, to be regulating based on uh, something of a consensus understanding of what the facts on the ground are. Right. And so as it got up to the appellate court, it, I think it's fair to say that the, the argument uh, is between us and the agency is whether they established or utilized uh, an advisory committee, and their their story is no, we didn't establish or utilize it. We this wasn't our doing, um, and also that FACA the, that the words established and utilized should be interpreted narrowly. They're saying this really wasn't that these guys just sort of came together, I guess, out of the ether. And um, and I guess, Mark, it seems to me that the actual thing they're worried about is electronic tagging, right? So it's just like we were discussing earlier, being followed around all the time. So that's that's what people are worried about. That yeah, the government, uh, the ranchers don't want the government following their cattle around all the time. Right. I mean, I think so that's fair is, to say. Yeah. So this is yet another. It's another one of these. Uh, we want to know where everybody is at all times type deals, and. Um, the panopticon, so, as you like to call it. I do like to call it that from Jeremy Bentham. He was going to do that to prisoners. And and many people were horrified that prisoners were going to be in this place that he designed where they could always be seen, but they couldn't see who was watching them. And this would control their behavior. That was the whole point was that they're prisoners and we've got to control their behavior and change how they do things. But um, that horrified a lot, a lot of people. But now that people apparently the regulators look at it and says, great idea. Jeremy. Yeah. Well, at least at least a bovine nopticon, if not a panopticon. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so FACA applies to committees that are either established or utilized by the federal government. And there was a case called Public Citizen, and it said that uh, you, what you have to do is um, interpret that broadly, because we do want we do want we don't want the government getting out of this, right? Because this is it's important that we know who's who's giving the information and where and how and all that. Um, and so, uh, the, the, um, even if, um, 
it, so they say two things, and, and this came out at oral argument. And, and they said that um, that they didn't establish which was, which was hostile, by the way. The oral right, argument, I think, right. I, I would say this. I did find it interesting that that the the court was peppering Harriet with ideas. Well, did you know there was no information below that uh, that the agency did X, Y, or Z to establish or utilize it? And they said, well, they did help the point. And she she pointed out factually what we knew, but they were extremely hostile. And I am not sure why. I, I have to say I'm not sure why because I would think that the courts would want. You know they love process and procedure, and this is process and procedure. So, um, well, and, and if you don't if you don't think there's evidence, then you should have ordered discovery. I mean, they 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 were picking on her for the fact that we didn't have any proof that the government had funded either one of these committees. Well, the government didn't include that in the administrative record, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And if you have discovery and you can put people under oath and ask for for for, for that information, then you might be able to provide it to the court. But the court is essentially saying uh, in, in this case involving whether or not the government uh, violated the law, the government hasn't put proof of its violation of the law in the administrative record, and it gets to control the administrative record, and therefore you don't have the proof to show that the government violated the law. It's like, well, now, wait a minute. There seems to be a problem with that approach. <laughs> and, and, and at oral argument, there is one thing that is concerning to me as a practitioner. That is, so public citizen, we argue, uh, is, 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 says that things should be uh, established and utilized are more broadly interpreted. And and what this means is, is that how how wide do the courts go in saying that the government established or utilized this, this advisory committee? And th- th- there was a separate argument, but, but I didn't hear that it came up too much, was that, well, th- they made this decision independently anyway. But I, I don't think that's fully fleshed out or, or a fact or anything, but I do think they had that. But here, th- they... The, the government relied really heavily on a case called Byrd versus uh, U.S. Uh, EPA. And um, in, the, in that case, it was D.C. Circuit case. They had a narrow construction. Um, and this is a problem with the D.C. Circuit. The D.C. Circuit is uh, the main administrative court below the Supreme Court. It's, it's the case. It sets up tons of administrative cases, just like if you have a contract case or a business case, you'll look to New York, the Second Circuit. Um, all the, all, it's not to say that the, the courts won't come out differently, but the first thing they're going to look at is they're going to say, do we have any precedent in this area? And then the second thing they're going to do is if it's, if it's a commercial case, they'll look at the Second Circuit. But if it's an administrative case, I, Mark, I think they all look at to see what the D.C. Circuit court did before they do anything well because they they know that there's likely to be precedent on the question because there's so many more administrative law cases uh historically brought in the dc circuit than in other circuits yeah and when i was clerking we used to have when we had to make a decision uh about what law applied there there was a uh a comedic uh uh little memo that went by amongst the clerks it was not serious at all but it was called the law of the book Look around your office. What book is there? That's the law that applies. This was before computers or anything. So I think I think there's a little of that going on with the with the DC Circuit or uh, on that because it it does have a lot of um, a lot of precedent, but a lot of that precedent is very pro administrative state, for it, it, which is the problem. They, they, you know, we do need these. Certainly, a place like Tenth Circuit where there's so much um, public land. 
and and so much um, federal uh, control of of everything that goes on out there economically, I I would think they'd want to look at it more independently. But they really seem to be saying, well, isn't the precedent from these other circuits that you're allowed to do that? And I think they mainly meant the D.C. circuit. Do you, do you think, Mark? I mean, that's what they're really hammering on. I think that's right. I think that's what they mean. And, but, but I think they've misconstrued the D.C. circuit's overall approach to FACA, which has which has not been uh, as uh, uh, stingy, I guess, as I would to characterize the, the the 10th circuit's approach or certainly the district court of wyoming's approach in this case that's right so we'll see what happens and i think that at the end there they the court was a little surprised by harriet i think they knew they got some things wrong so we'll see how it comes out see you next time